Every Wednesday morning, 11 o'clock, it is your opportunity to be and prove that you are Saskatchewan's smartest radio listener. And today is no exception. We're half an hour away from your opportunity. Just like last week, Paul Carolino from Swift Current grabbed the opportunity, had the right answer to the question, and now is the reigning Saskatchewan smartest radio listener champ. Today, someone else wears the crown. Will it be you? The question is in Paul's hands. He's ready to give it to you just after 11 o'clock this morning. Valentine's Day today, and uh, what does that mean for you? Does that mean a special supper? Does that mean uh, you bought a little special something for someone, or is it just another day? A lot of people think it's overrated, it's too commercialized, but it does give us an opportunity to talk about things, love, romance, sex. My next guest is an expert on sex. Tina Fetner is a professor and chair of the sociology department at McMaster University. Her research focuses on sexuality and social change. And she realized in all the years that she's been doing this, that the data she looks at year after year is American data. None of it related to Canadians. So she decided she was going to change that. She wanted to learn a little bit more about the sexual behavior and attitudes of Canadians through a study that she did. And now she's detailed her findings in a new book called Sex in Canada, The Who, Why, When, and How of Getting Down Up North. And Tina Fetner joins me on the phone today from her office in Hamilton. Tina, thanks so much for taking the call. Yeah, thank you for having me. So you're an expert on sexuality and social change. What inspired you to work in this specific field? Well, you know, uh, I'm so lucky to be able to research what I want to research, and this is a really interesting topic. I teach in this area, and I always um, had to use data from the United States to present in my class. The students were always like, well, what about Canada? And I thought that was a really good question, and so I thought it was about time that we collected data ourselves. Yeah. So the book is called Sex in Canada, the who, why, when, and how of getting down up north. And of course, missing are the words what and where. What is sex? Where is Canada? Correct? So (laughs) (laughs) I'm assuming that's that's why those two words are left out. Talk a little bit about the research, Tina, that you did uh, getting ready for this. Yeah. So this is a um, anonymous online survey of sexual behavior. We got the questionnaire from the Kinsey Institute in the United States so that we would know that the questions were um, really good. And uh, we we administered the survey in 2018. So important to know this is all information that happened before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Do you think it would have been much different after? Well, I'm not sure. It's a really good question, right? It was definitely different during, I imagine, uh, when people were... Um, lockdown, but whether it had any permanent changes, we're just going to have to do another survey in the future and compare. Tina Fentner is my guest, professor and chair of the sociology department at McMaster University. So this is the first study of its kind, basically in Canada, correct? Yeah, that's right. We have a lot of good data on smaller populations or on particular issues like sexual health, but this is just a broad general survey of sexual behavior of representing the entire Canadian adult population, and that is what is unique. So how many people did you include or, or responded, I guess is a better way to put it, to the survey? 
Yeah, so we have um, 2,303 respondents in the survey. And what can you give us a sense of the types of questions that you included? Yeah, so we asked uh, people about how recently they had certain kinds of sexual, uh, they had participated in recent um, in sexual activity, and then we asked a series of questions about asking them to reflect on their most recent sexual encounter and all the activities that they did. I noticed that you said anonymous earlier when you were answering one of my first questions. Uh, it would be, I'm assuming, pretty hard to find people willing to participate if it wasn't anonymous. Is that accurate to say? Well, you know, you might be surprised. I have found that once you ask people and you give them permission to talk about their sex lives, um, a lot of times people really are um, enjoying talking about it, really forthcoming. And so it was important uh, to us to make it anonymous so that absolutely everybody felt comfortable participating. Um, and we didn't have any trouble filling out the survey, so we got all the respondents that we needed. What is it about about the topic of sex that, that still seems to be taboo, even as I was talking to people preparing for this discussion with you today? I watched the reaction of people when I said, uh, I'm talking to this author who's written this book. I mean, there's right away, there's, you know, the looks, the the giggles, all of those types of things. You teach this for a living. What is it about the topic that causes people to react like that? It's very funny. This is um, These are just social norms, right? We have rules against talking about sex and especially talking about the, the particulars of sexual behavior. Um, these are just some of the social norms that we have. One of the things that I really enjoy when I'm um, talking with my university students is that um, they are almost always really convinced that we have moved past these taboos, that everybody is comfortable talking about sex and it's just fine. And then I'll uh, press them a little and be like, oh, so you talk to your grandma about your sex life? And then they laugh, right? And so um, there's some circumstances where it's okay to talk about it and others where we have rules against it. So so you, you know, the point that you bring up or you at least illustrate there is, do we see some generational differences in how we approach this topic? One of the things that is great about having a full picture of the Canadian population is that you can see the real difference in the older generations, and I especially in the book mark that there's, you know, still people with us who came of age, who became adults before the sexual revolution, right? When the church had a much greater say in people's lives, when laws and policies really were restrictive in terms of sexuality, and then younger generations sort of became adults and learned how to become sexual beings after all those things were loosened up. And so you, there are those patterns you can see in the data where the oldest generation is a bit different from everybody else. And I'm curious, I mean, maybe it, it, it goes hand in hand and goes without saying, but the, the, you know, the influence of social media and just social norms today versus what they were even a decade or two decades ago um, has to have an impact on this as well. Yeah, it definitely does, but it's kind of so recent, right, in the last decade or so that it's probably only really um, an issue for the youngest uh, people in the survey, so the, the young adults 18 to 29. So they're engaging with um, social media to a much greater extent than the rest of us, and it's kind of an open question how that's impacting their sex lives. 
Tina Fetner is my guest, the professor and chair of the sociology department at McMaster University and the author of a new book, Sex in Canada, the who, why, when, and how of getting down up north. So I'm curious if you could break down just generally, you've talked a little bit about some of the generational differences you found. What did your study uncover when you're looking at sexual activity and attitudes of Canadians? Oh, all kinds of things. So there's really great information in here about um, how people met, whether they met online or whether they met in person. You'll be surprised to learn that the majority of people still meet in person, um, uh, although a growing chunk meet online. We asked about monogamy. We asked about open relationships and um, and cheating. We have good data on that. People are still very kind of tied to monogamy. And then we have a lot of information about particular sexual behaviors. And so whether people, for example, use sex toys or whether they, um, what kinds of sexual activities they have when they're with a partner. Was there anything that you would classify as surprising to you that you learned through the data? Yeah, I think that um, some of the things that was surprising was problems that we think we have that we don't have to have, right? <laughs> I don't read that don't exist. Right, like uh, I think a lot of times we worry about young people, and uh, there wasn't a lot of evidence that the sex that young people were having was any more, you know, problematic than um, the sex of older generations. Like for example, we asked people about whether they'd been um, drinking alcohol uh, in their last uh, uh, sexual encounter. It's just you know a problem we worry about young people maybe are out of control when they're having sex. And uh, what we found was about 20% of Canadians said that they were they had been drinking alcohol prior to their most recent sex. The same for the youngest group as for the oldest group. And um, and this is this pattern continues all kinds of things. We asked about condom use. Young people are the most likely to use condoms in their sex. So th- that was surprising in a very positive way. Um, sometimes we worry about things more than we need to. Tina, you had mentioned off the start that part of the reason you did this is you were always exploring these topics using U.S. data. Did you notice now that you've done the first Canadian study into this topic, are there any big differences between Canada and the U.S.? Well, a lot of um, a lot of the behavior is really similar, and that shouldn't surprise us. We kind of have uh, a lot of our culture is shared. We kind of watch the same media. We don't have um, huge kind of religious differences. But really the one area that's unique um, in Canada is the Francophone population, you know, which uh, doesn't really exist in the United States, not as a culture the same way. And um, we have some, we see some patterns in the data where people who answered the survey in French uh, report having sex more frequently, report a wider variety of sexual behaviors with their partners than the English speaking. And so this is really the biggest difference between Canada and the United States is our kind of multiculturalism. So the French really do live up to the uh, lover <laughs> uh, bias that we say they have. <laughs> Sometimes the stereotypes are real. Yeah, that's so true. Uh, I'm curious to know, Tina, is there what kind of impact do you think this will have on people that read the book? Well, my dream is that it ha- it makes people more comfortable talking about sex. It gives people the facts of what the reality is for sexual behavior. 
I really think that it is empowering to be able to um, know yourself and understand yourself and um, feel like who you are is in the realm of what other people are doing, learn a language to ask for what you want in the bedroom. This is all really empowering, and I hope that this book encourages that in some way. This has been a really good talk. I uh, encourage people that are hearing this conversation to go out and and grab the book. I'm assuming it's available in bookstores across Canada, and, and people can buy it as we speak. Is that right, Tina? That's right. It sure is. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for the time. We appreciate it, and thanks for the work that you did on this. Thank you. Tina Fetner, professor and chair of the sociology department at McMaster University and the author of the book Sex in Canada, the who, why, when, and how of getting down up north. Just in time for Valentine's Day. You're listening to 980 CJME and 650 CKOM. Yesterday we had a good conversation about Arrive Can and the fact that that Auditor General Karen Hogan's Auditor General report was released on Monday, a blistering report basically saying the worst financial record keeping she has ever seen. You and I got into a conversation. Is it criminal? Like, should the RCMP be stepping in? Well, yesterday in the House during question period, Pierre Polyev exactly asked that question. His Prime Minister and his arrive scam are not worth the cost or the corruption after yesterday's auditor general revelations of corruption waste and mismanagement i have written the rcmp asking them to expand their criminal investigation into the prime minister's arrive scam he has a track record of blocking criminal investigations he tried to protect snc lavalin from prosecution he blocked the rcmp from investigating his illegal vacation to billionaire island will he stay out of the way or will he again try to block the rcmp's criminal investigation into arrive scam covid 19 pandemic was a once in a generation even once in a century occurrence in which every decision we took uh, was designed to protect canadians lives at the same time, Mr. Speaker, even in a situation like that, there are rules that need to be followed. And we expect, and all Canadians expect public servants to follow those rules. Uh, and we will, of course, uh, encourage uh, the RCMP to do its work. But it doesn't take politicians, even leaders of the opposition, to tell the RCMP to do their job. They do their job, Mr. Speaker, and they do it well. They do their job unless the Prime Minister blocks them from doing their job, like he did in his criminal offense where he, he committed the crime of accepting a gift from someone who was seeking a government contract from him. He blocked the RCMP from investigating him. And, he, you know, COVID-19 is something he saw as a once-in-a-generation opportunity to fill the pockets of his friends, whether it was the Wee scandal... Which he, in which his family received a half million dollars, or whether it was Frank Bayless, or now the Arrive scam. Will he stay out of the way and let the police investigate him and his corrupt government in, in Arrive scam? So following that discussion in the House yesterday, he did pen a letter. Pierre Polyev signed a letter to Commissioner of the RCMP, Mike Duhem, basically saying this is this report that came out from the Auditor General, Karen Hogan, has exposed corruption, mismanagement, and misconduct on a massive scale. Now, the auditor didn't use the word corruption. That was Pierre's word in the letter. The auditor didn't say that, but she did say there was a glaring disregard for basic management and contracting practices. Basically, this price tag was out of control. 
started out at $80,000. Now it's up around $59.5 million. Might as well call it $60 million. A whole bunch of unaccounted for people. They were paying invoices where there was no work listed on them. So it was just basically the invoice with a dollar amount for the, for the amount of millions of dollars and they were getting paid. And this is where you and I started the conversation about, doesn't this constitute fraud? Now, maybe it doesn't translate to an elected official. That's yet to be seen. But it seems to me like there was some stuff going on here that at very least is going to result in job loss. And we, we know a couple of people have been suspended already. So there you have it. Pierre Polyev and the conservatives have written a letter to the RCMP asking them to expand their investigation to include Arrive Scam, as he's calling it, but the Arrive Can app. It is Saskatchewan's smartest radio listener. Is it you? We find out next on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME.